Hello, everyone. This is David Greenwald from the Davis Vanguard, and uh, we have a unique show for you tonight. Uh, we have three of our youthful candidates uh, for city council, um, and this is not a candidates forum, but it is going to be a hopefully interesting conversation about the future of Davis. Um, I want to introduce my co-host, uh, Jordan Varney, who's uh, one of our editors uh, for the UC Davis project, um, and she is the uh, desk editor for the City Desk, so welcome, uh, Jordan. And um, why don't we go around the room and introduce the candidates. Uh, we can start with uh, Connor. I'm Connor. I am running in District 5, and I use he, him pronouns. All right, and then we'll go to Kelsey. Hi, I'm Kelsey Fortune. I'm also running in District 5, like Connor. Um, she, her pronouns are great. Finishing up my PhD in economics and really excited to have a conversation with my fellow youthful candidates. And uh, Dylan. Yeah, um, good evening, good afternoon, good morning. I guess it depends on what time you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, my name is Dylan. I uh, came uh, to Davis like many youthful and um, uh, older uh, people uh, came to Davis uh, as a student. They're connected to the university. Uh, my day job, I work uh, doing employment uh, support for people with developmental disabilities, and I uh, am currently the chair of the Davis uh, Police Accountability Commission and a candidate for Davis City Council District 2. So I'm just going to start throwing out uh, some questions, and if it uh, evolves into a discussion, great. Otherwise, Jordan can jump in with some questions, and I have a bunch. Um, so I want to start with with this, um, you know, what inspired you to run for office? Uh, whoever wants to start is fine. I'll get us started. Um, so I guess I, I guess I'm the most outside of uh, the typical um, candidate. I have not been super involved. Um, in city politics before in city business. However, I've always been extremely um, involved in my community. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was stuck at my parents' house in Wisconsin. Um, and before the school district got their act together and started uh, meal pickup and delivery for um, the students in my parents' community, I partnered with a church to fill that gap. Um, and it just reminded me of kind of what I'm really good at. And that's listening to the people around me, um, figuring out the best solution and then acting. So I looked for an opportunity to, to do that in Davis. And I think that, you know, being a part of the city council, having a fresh perspective would be really important. Great. Who wants to jump in? You know, next. Uh, so I, I'm also uh, a grad student hoping to finish up soon. And I came to Davis about seven years ago for grad school. 
but I very quickly got involved in local organizing, especially labor organizing, Houston Student Workers Union. And that really quickly led to other types of organizing, especially around direct pressure campaigns, uh, because I am very interested in direct action and uh, strikes and those types of tactics. But I, from that, I began getting more involved in Davis City business. And I started becoming interested in that, probably more interested than I would have initially guessed. Uh, uh, and from there, I, a good way to continue with that type of work and trying for a while, but through a different, uh, a different and complementary tactic than that, that I had primarily been focusing on. Great. And Dylan? Yeah, I um, had really gotten, I guess, involved in politics, so to speak, um, in uh, as a student activist, um, getting involved in a number of issue advocacy campaigns related to, you know, student services um, and making sure that people had the uh, financial accessibility to get a college education, um, either at a community college or when I came to uh, UC Davis. Um, and I, I think uh, when I got more involved in the local issues that the city is involved with, I um, felt like we, as advocates, you know, were hitting a brick wall, kept getting into these situations where there was, uh, you know, community leaders, community advocates sort of coming to the city with um, their own lived experiences and concerns with a, with a, you know, really a demand for change in a number of areas and really just having that um, either dismissed to a certain respect in certain areas or, or just sort of ignored in, in the policy development process. And it seems like, you know, when you're in those situations where there's a big, you know, sort of lingering community need that's not being addressed by, you know, elected and empowered leaders. Number one, it just sort of requires the community to stand up and decide for itself that, uh, that it's going to take this representation and this um, uh, need for progress into its own hands. But it also requires, I think, some individuals to look inside themselves and figure out how they could step up their own service and advocacy for their community. So um, as I was uh, sort of hitting my head against the wall with a number of other advocates, Connor and some others uh, on the, you know, in the areas of, of police reform and the expansion of quality affordable housing in our community seemed like we needed to get more leaders who were filling the queues of, of public comment lines on the other side of the dais. Um, and, and we could see these more, these issues more readily addressed. So that's why I decided to run last year. Great. Um, I have a question that kind of jumps off of that. So I think that a lot of Davisites feel that the national conversation around policing is good, but that Davis doesn't necessarily need to be having it at all or having it at the levels of like other communities. And so how do you feel that you would address those people or how do you have advice for people who want to be having that conversation and working towards explaining to Davis, you know, that we should be having this conversation. This is something that we should participate in that the whole nation is. So yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh. <laughs> go ahead, Kelsey. 
Thanks, Dylan. Um, yeah, so I think that um, I kind of come at this from a, a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, my lived experience is very different uh, um, than than other people's. Obviously, I I'm coming at this from the perspective of a victim of a crime um, that was dismissed. Um, and and so I think, you know, when we're talking about about Davis, we need to be thinking about what we what issues are we facing when it comes to public safety and how can we best address those? Because most of the issues in Davis um, aren't going to be helped by an armed officer. Um, you're talking about things like homelessness, mental health, um, sexual assault. We're in a college town, it's happening. Um, and those things are not, the police are not well suited to deal with these types of things. Um, and so even stepping back from the perspective of, you know, thinking about this from this Black Lives Matter, you know, people of color are over-policed. That is a thing everywhere, no matter what. There is systemic racism within police departments. Um, and, and stepping back and thinking about, well, do the police actually really suit the needs of our community? And I would argue that they don't. Um, you know, what, what we need is a more holistic perspective, one that provides services for people in crisis, people suffering from addiction, people who do not have a place to lay their head, um, and people who are victims of crimes. Um, we hear a lot about, you know, theft and that sort of thing as well. And I'd argue that, again, armed officers probably not going to be particularly helpful when you get home and you realize your bike is no longer there. It's just not, you know, if we can remove the, the status quo, this inertia to put everything on the police and actually separate it out into, you know, into other types of response and other types of services that are actually much more well suited to deal with these types of things, then we will actually be mitigating some of these problems. We'll be decreasing the amount of interactions that police have in the community. We can decrease the number of armed officers in our community and actually better serve the public in general. So I just want to say, I think that this is one of the most, and I'm sorry, I, I'm not, I'm not emotional about the subject. I got something in my eye right as she was talking. <laughs> I can't get oh, no. <laughs> um, but um, this, particularly in the last few months as we've engaged as a city in this, you know, contemporary um, conversation about reforming our um, deliverance of public safety um, services, um, this is like the biggest stumbling block the biggest sort of hurdle in us achieving, you know, real 
impactful reform here that there is, you know, Morgan brought forward this great term uh, in our, our podcast last week, this sort of Davis exceptionalism, this sort of idea that you know, there's this, uh, you know, sort of invisible bubble around Davis that prevents misogyny and, and, and homophobia and Islamophobia and all those other phobias and isms from getting inside Davis. There are conversations that, hey, you know, Placer County uh, needs to have or folks in Alabama somewhere need to have, but that's not really what we, you know, we don't, we've already done that here. Um, and you see so many different iterations of that ideology and that mindset, you know, from all the way up, you know, to people like our police chief who, you know, when activists came to talk to him about the eight can't wait, oh, we already did that. Uh, you know, when activists come to talk to him about separating as is sort of the thrust of the, the current conversation, separating out social services from being delivered, you know, at the end of an armed law enforcement officer, oh, well, we already separated them. <laughs> what? Uh, 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 and, and, but when you get further down into conversations with um, I, I shouldn't say further down because, you know, the city council is supposed to be supervising uh, law enforcement and, and our entire government. But when you talk to council members uh, sometimes and to uh, other high level city staffers or just regular old residents walking down the street, um, there is this idea that this is an issue somewhere else and we don't really suffer from that here. Um, and, you know, a, a number of you know that I was, um, you know, helped put together the uh, March for Justice event that we had, um, you know, leading out from Central Park earlier this summer. Uh, and we were really intentional about the sort of programming and design of that event because we knew that that was such a big problem. Uh, number one, we knew that there were so many people who were looking out for some kind of leadership in that area, looking for, you know, uh, programs and reforms to get behind and to, you know, push government on. But we knew that there were a, a number of people, you know, let's just be frank and honest, that, that, that don't have an awareness of what this, um, uh, what the actual problem is here. Kelsey brings up a number of really great, you know, uh, dimensions of this conversation that really haven't been highly focused on, um, you know, about some of the gaps uh, in, in true public safety that exist in the, the way that policing is currently being handled right now. Um, but there is a really big gap in understanding of what the experience is like of a person like me who gets pulled over, you know, on the street uh, by Davis police officers. We have a, you know, a community when compared to our neighbors that's, you know, wealthier than, than uh, on average than, than our neighbors, that's whiter on average than our neighbors. And so the um, uh, experience of police brutality of uh, inefficient, over-militarized policing, uh, being on the, the negative receiving end, that is not the experience of a lot of people. And uh, that is, you know, uh, we talked a little bit in the last call about, you know, how, how a lot of people, uh, you know, my interaction with the cops is great. Uh, not, not me personally, but this is sort of the thinking that some people have and sort of they extrapolate that to every other person in Davis experience. Well, my, you know, my, uh, 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 you know, sort of relationship to as the white grandpa of Davis is good to everyone else. This is good, right? Uh, and that's that that that's a big sort of uh, education gap that exists uh, that prevents us from making progress, and it puts the burden <laughs> on people of color uh, and and uh, you know native people, you know Latinx individuals, black people, to sort of explain what this experience is, so that people understand it to the degree that we can make some progress. Because you can't even you know, explain, you sound like a crazy person when you're saying, let's separate all of these things that are part of the police department. 
Um, you sound like a crazy person when you say that if you don't understand what the true like hurt uh, and neglect is uh, in that area already. So this is a really big problem, uh, at least in my uh, observation. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, one of the big things is it's so, it's so odd that for me, it's so strange that people can say, oh, well, this is my experience. This must be everyone else's experience. And then for someone else to say, well, my experience is different. And then to just kind of dismiss that experience, that lived experience, just because my experience is different is really shocking to me. And I feel like, you know, as like that's the job of elected officials is to to have those conversations to be listening and to like learn from those and then lead the community forward in a way that is inclusive of everyone's voices um a lot of you know a lot of people when we're going through forums and things you, you get asked a lot of these questions where you're supposed to know the answer, right? And, and really, an elected official doesn't have all the answers, right? Somebody holding office doesn't know everything. Their job is to, you know, bring together people who have diverse experiences and come up with, you know, identify issues and come up with plans to move forward. Um, and I feel like that's getting really lost in politics a lot is we focus on everybody's answer to the question rather than their process of how they're actually going to get to a better place. Uh, Connor, did you? Yes. Um, yeah, so kind of building off of what Kelsey and Dylan were discussing, I think we also have to recognize that policing as an institution is harmful. And that's true regardless of the individual officers or the individual departments or anything like that. So it's very much true in Davis the same way that it is in other jurisdictions, because just the basis of policing is not to create safety. The basis of policing is to oppress marginalized communities and protect the stolen wealth of the ruling class. So that is something that is just across the board with policing and we certainly see manifestations of this in davis with the way that different communities are treated disproportionately in terms of davis policing uh, and really that's partially related to individual biases but partially related to just the function of policing but then on top of that we do see a lot of bias within the Davis Police Department. And one well-known example of this is the Picnic Day 5 incident, where essentially an unmarked police van drove into a crowd uh, on Russell Boulevard on Picnic Day. So one of many crowds, there were lots of crowds, and they just kind of picked one. Uh, and the, the undercover police who were in that van very quickly escalated the situation, um, both by driving into the crowd and even after that, they quickly got out and started uh, fighting with people in the crowd without identifying themselves as police and without trying to actually discuss uh, any of the 
what they saw as concerns with people in the crowd, they very quickly escalated it. And a lot of people in the crowd uh, resist it because they saw it as a bunch of white dudes who just jumped out of a random van and started attacking us. Uh, and five people of color were arrested and charged with assaulting an officer. Um, and it was very clear that certain types of people were targeted in addition to the incident itself being problematic and indicative of the way that policing is done and the way that it's done in Davis. And I do think that one of the reasons that we might not see as much explicit examples of bias coming out of Davis police is because of the demographics of Davis. Davis doesn't have a large number of people from the communities that are typically targeted by policing. So even though policing still serves the same role and even though the biases are still there, just because there are fewer people from these communities because of other problems with racist structures and classist structures around the way that Davis is uh, like formed, because there's fewer of these uh, communities that just generally leads to fewer incidents of police causing uh, stereotypical direct harm. Uh, but we know for the community, the people in those communities who do exist in Davis, uh, this very much is an issue that they have to deal with. And the like, reduced number overall is just because of how relatively few people there are from those communities to begin with as a result of other structural forms of oppression. If I could, I just want to underline one of the things that Connor just said, because this was um, obviously we all participated in the League of Women Voters uh, Davis Media Access Forum last Sunday in different districts, obviously. Um, uh, since y'all probably only watched the fifth district one, uh, uh, Kelsey and Connor, you may not have seen in the, the second district conversation, someone, uh, an audience member, a, a voter asked a question about uh, what, what the candidates would do um, to increase racial diversity in the city uh, in, in terms of, uh, um, I assume they meant city staff, um, but I guess uh, obviously city council as well. Um, uh, right, yeah. Uh, but um, uh, I, it was interesting in a part of one of my opponent's answer, he sort of said, um, Essentially, yeah, it's not that many, you know, black or brown people there. So that kind of, he didn't say this directly, but essentially sort of going down the road, that's not really something that we need to spend a whole lot of time addressing uh, because of the, the, the sort of the smaller proportions of people of color. And I had already, you know, pressed the raise hand thing so that I could uh, give a response. I was planning on saying something completely different, but I just couldn't get past that bizarre comment from an incumbent city council member. And I just had to bring up, you know, along the lines of what Connor mentioned that the demographics, um, you know, of, of, of sort of small proportions of African-American, Latinx individuals, native uh, individuals in our community is on purpose. Uh, right. Our demographics that are, are present in our community, you know, that I know of uh, because, uh, you know, the, many of the original deeds uh, for Davis properties wouldn't have allowed them to be sold or passed down to people who look like me for many years. 
Um, and, and, and so for, for people to lose sight of, yes, there's a small brown and black population here in the community. Number one, that does not mean that these issues are less relevant, obviously. Um, but, but number two, we should never forget this is on purpose, that these demographics are here uh, because uh, a very purposefully uh, set policies and structures uh, from the foundation of our city's history. Um, but I, I just wanted to highlight that. Absolutely. I totally agree that, you know, when we're talking about about diversity in in any sense, you know, having diverse voices does not necessarily mean representative voices. Right. So, you know, oh, well, Davis is really white, so it's OK that, you know, the city staff is really white or the city council is really white or, you know, that's not that's that's still not going to end up getting us to the best solutions to issues. And because when you put a group of like people in a room together, they're all thinking similarly. And, and so the discussion is going to be short and it's going to be incomplete. Um, and I think that's part of why all of us are kind of here right now is because we feel like hey, there's something big missing here. You know, for, for all of us, it's, it's representing a younger voice. Um, and for you, Dylan, you know, representing something even more, like just saying Davis is not old white men. It's not, you know, and, and even if it was, having all old white men making the decisions isn't going to get us to where we want to be. So, so. let me ask you guys uh, this, because uh, I, I think this kind of dovetails on what you guys are saying. How do we get more people involved in this process? Because I see um, an engagement problem, uh, a problem that frankly, I've been trying to tackle for 15 years now, which is that there's a group of people that come to every city council meeting when there actually is a physical city council meeting. Mm -hmm. and, and, they, and, and they speak. And uh, one year we actually tallied it up. And, uh, you know, some, uh, some people, uh, there's a small handful of people that spoke a whole lot. And then there was a larger kind of subsection of people that kind of spoke periodically. And then there was the rest of the community that didn't speak at all. Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the things that I've always been frustrated at is that there are 40,000 students now. When I got here, it was like 25,000. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the students aren't very involved. And if they ever got involved, they could run this town um for better or for worse um and <laughs> so anyway uh I'll, I'll get off my soapbox yeah. here but uh i'm curious to see how you think we can get more people involved in this so i think a, a couple of things are are relevant and cecilia i mean you definitely sort of know about this from the school's angle the people often in most need of like intensified, refocused um, service from government are often the people who least have the time uh, uh, 
to be engaging with government to get their act together. Uh, Wait, they have they don't have six hours on a on a Tuesday night, to... right? Or a Tuesday <laughs> day for county issues if you're trying to get right. a county board of supervisors. Yeah. Um, um, I I don't think I've. I, I think the only time I've ever been to a county board of supervisors meeting, I know we're already for, running for city council, but <laughs> I've only been able to be at a county board of supervisors meeting when I worked for Congressman Garamendi and I had the time and direction uh, as part of my job to go to local government meetings. Um, but yeah, so so a part of it is that um, is that the, the population of people that we need to get more engaged for things to get better you know, just don't have the, the the flexibility in their life right now to be able to do that. You know, uh, how do we engage, you know, this is a, a conversation uh, before the Police Accountability Commission was created. It's been a conversation since, and it probably will be in the future, of how do we engage uh, uh, homeless individuals um, in our conversations as, a, as the city is developing policy beyond the police, but specifically in the area of, of policing, how do we engage um you know a, a, a population who's not going to be you know uh, clued in on next door about what's going on in the, the city government right um and so we're really good in davis about reaching out to the most informed engaged you know possible person who probably would have you know got the email anyway um even if we you know they hadn't been signed up for the subscription so um we uh need to understand that number one, um, some, I won't say all, I'm not trying to disparage all politicians, but some politicians rely on that lack of attention from those most in need uh, because it, 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 it sort of makes, you know, uh, you know, going along to get along sort of, or getting along to get along, I forget what the saying is, but just sort of not doing your job um, because uh, the people in need are not paying attention to you. It makes that a really easy thing to do. Um, and also, I think we should be aware, you know, just as activists and organizers in our own, you know, respective areas, um, uh, 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 it requires a lot more intense effort to, you know, engage the single mom who's trying to get, you know, better stuff from the city, trying to get, you know, uh, 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 you know, after school or summer camp services, uh, you know, fees lowered. Um, uh, it, you, you have to call that person on the phone a bunch of times. Uh, you're gonna have to have a whole bunch of Zoom meetings with that person, and so you, as uh, not you, all of us as candidates, um, uh, uh, but all of us who uh, occupy some sort of leadership role um, in sort of the civic engagement of our town, have to figure out, you know, how am I gonna carve out some time on my schedule for engaging new people? How am I gonna carve out some time in my schedule to register the perpetual non-voter? You know, what, what what am I gonna do to to um, to, to purposefully carve out some time in my organizing schedule to bring along people who um, who traditionally have some trouble being brought into the to the system into the conversation, um, and so it just requires a lot of intense, really purposeful effort uh, on the part of, of folks like us. Yeah, so I think there are a few things that I've been doing that I have found really helpful. So um, I initially had set up. Um, a bunch of times, so like most days of the week, I'm either outside a local establishment or on Zoom where anyone can chat with me. And I always respond to, you know, all the emails that I get from people, um, which is a lot of work. <laughs> but um, 
And initially, the people who were coming to chat with me were exactly who you're talking about, these really informed people who are, you know, like already sit on commissions for the city and all of that. But now it has been people who just moved to Davis recently and don't know how they're going to vote. So they, you know, looked at everybody's website and found out they could come and meet me. Um, and so they did. Um, or I was, you know, so I was sitting outside Common Grounds one evening and um, there were a couple of people sitting at the table next to me who were chatting and had grabbed some food from the grocery store and just, you know, eating their, eating their dinner. Um, and so I just, you know, I just engaged with them. And it turns out that, you know, they live at the Pacifico um, project, which is a huge issue in South Davis. And so now I have a totally different, you know, I have this really unique perspective because not only have I talked to, you know, the people who live around Pacifico, but I've actually talked to people who are on the other side who are also seeing lots of problems with the current way things are being done. Um, or on my bike ride home the other day when I did, I stopped, I was biking along along Second Street and someone had, I'd been having a conversation with someone about the, the bike path that's along that railroad tracks between the railroad tracks and the highway. Um, and they had, you know, they had expressed to me that people were concerned about this bike path and didn't want to use it because there were homeless people who set up camp along that area because for the most part, it's very out of the way. And so, you know, people kind of leave them, let them do their thing. Um, I don't like that bike path because of the way it comes up onto Mace Boulevard. It's terrifying. Um, you come up onto incoming traffic that's going onto the highway, like on an on-ramp. I don't understand who designed it, but I'm so, I was biking along Second Street instead. Um, but I just did, I stopped and I went and I had a conversation with, with a man who's been living along this bike path for eight years. And, and you know, I think it's these simple things that I don't know if I would have had these conversations if I weren't in this situation where I put myself in this like potential leadership space. Um, but because I'm here, I know that I have to get these perspectives. And so I have, I've been, you know, I've been reaching out to people as I'm biking home and I've been making myself really, really available to literally anyone. Um, and I know it's still hard for people to, you know, find out that information that they can come and talk to their council person. But if that were something that we said was something that the council should be doing, like your council member should be someone who you can have a conversation with and not just if you are the most informed person, like they should be available to you. So, you know, yeah, we can use public comment to get these things across, but it's not a conversation which can be extremely frustrating for everyone involved. And, and you don't, and, and yeah, public comment is, you know, during these big long meetings where you potentially have to wait for the correct time to say what you wanna say. And it's, it's, it becomes a really large, 
thing that you would have to do, whereas coming to just, you know, have a chat with another human being is something that is more accessible to just anyone in Davis. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's something that the city council members, you know, should be doing is like holding some type of office hour situation where they are just available to the public because having conversations only through these formalized meetings is going to engage only a specific group of people. Um, and so we should look for specific ways, specific actions that we can actually take, lay out actions and see if we get improved um, engagement in our community. I think office hours would also be awesome because students are really, really used to this kind of format of things where you can go and chat with someone. And so I think you might actually get the students more engaged as well because they kind of are used to this format where they can come and talk to someone, um, you know, during a two hour block of time or something. Yeah, so um, I, um, yeah, so I, I agree with um, all the things that Dylan and Kelsey have said. So I do think that, like, I'm I'm not a big fan of Robert's Rules and the whole, like, <laughs> overly formalized uh, nature of city council meetings, as well as other meetings, for that matter. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that having more opportunities to have real conversations is important and city council members as well as staff and commissioners and other people who are involved in these types of decisions would be helpful and i i will actually note that asucd senators and i believe their executive board too actually have office hours and they do in fact call it office mm -hmm. hours um right. where ASUCD is is the undergraduate student government. Uh, so they have that format already. And I think that would be very helpful. I also think that we do need to actively reach out to uh, different communities, especially the most marginalized ones, because as Dylan said, there are some communities who don't really have the time to come out to things. And that certainly can include the formal meeting, but Sometimes it might even include office hours as well, um, even if it's a more conversational and not as long setting. Um, there's still probably some people who aren't able to come out to that, but would like to provide their input nonetheless. So I think actively reaching out to the most marginalized is important. And I think Kelsey has given some good examples of that with uh, like, coming across people who are living on the streets and just directly talking to them where they are, like where they actually are camping out. Um, and doing those types of things, I think is important. And relatedly, there's a lot of, there's a lot of groups and organizations in Davis that are naturally doing uh, various types of work. So I actually first started coming to city council meetings because a group 
led by indigenous community members was pushing to move Davis's banking mm -hmm. services away from Wells Fargo in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. So there, there's a lot of groups and organizations in Davis that are doing various types of work. And I think that the council, as well as again, staff and commissioners and whatnot too, uh, should be actively reaching out to those groups uh, when it comes to issues that they know are of interest to those groups. Absolutely. I would love to see that more formalized in like um, in a way where, you know, we regularly have someone who kind of collects this, you know, the information on different groups, because I know, you know, I'm aware of some organizations, but obviously, right, like none of us know everything. Um, and so to like, you know, formalize, have this list of like local organizations um, that we like can regularly reach out to to see like what issues they are talking about um i think you know this comes back to the fact that for social services we rely a lot on nonprofits and and these organizations that are you know more informal um because government hasn't provided a lot of the things that you know a lot of us think are very necessary um and so we should, you know, local government should be actively engaging with all of these, all of these organizations that are providing services to see, you know, what we can do because they also have limited bandwidth, just like when we're talking about um, individuals who are, you know, struggling to put food on the table or our parents or our students, we just all have limited bandwidth. Um, and, and so, you know, just reaching out to have that conversation really regularly. And, um, and I just, you know, I think when it comes to local government, I really, one of the things I would like to see is just a lot of that get written down and become more of like, this is what we do. This is what we should be doing. This is what we should continue doing. Um, so that we don't lose sight of these kind of important things that we're talking about here, that that the engagement, you know, say two of us end up on city council or even one of us ends up on city council and we, you know, we implement something to, to engage people further. Um, what happens to that when we leave is gonna be really important. And I think, um, I guess having having had you know leadership positions in various organizations in the past, I've seen things that I've done disappear after I leave because you know people have different priorities, um, and I think community engagement should definitely be everyone's priority. And if we find something that works, that should be something that is expected of everyone in perpetuity. So in terms of local government structure, as you all know, we have a commission system in Davis. And so I would love to know how you all feel about the commission system. Uh, do you think there should be more or less authority? Should they be structured in different ways? City council this week met and talked about commissions and how they're structured. And so it would be great for you to weigh in. 
So I, I'm a big fan of the commissions. I think this is a good way to have community input in Davis as well as expertise that you don't always get with the council members themselves or with the city staff because a lot of relevant city staff have formalized academic expertise but a lot of commission members do too especially in a town like davis with a lot of people who are <laughs> affiliated with the university so i think that more degrees than people right mm -hmm. yeah so i think that having I'm a big fan of the commission system, and I think that the council should definitely listen to the commissions more, and staff should as well. I would also be in favor of looking into ways to give commissions more direct power. I believe the planning commission has a bit of direct power over certain decisions, and I do wonder if there are ways to give uh, commissions more broadly, uh, more direct power over at least certain things. But at the very least, I do think that there should be a lot more uh, listening by council and staff to the commissions. Uh, I also would like to reformat some of the way that some of the commissions are constituted though. In particular, um, a lot of the commissions have a very similar representation to what is the current city council. And as we discussed in earlier questions, um, there are some issues with the the council and I would apply this to commissions as well, not mm -hmm. really representing the community and also not centering the needs of the most marginalized. So I think we need to really try to form commissions in terms of their members who at the very least uh, represent the community and preferably um, center the most marginalized by, as Kelsey described earlier, maybe even disproportionately representing the most marginalized because they are the ones who are disproportionately impacted by a lot of the decisions that are made. So that means things like students and renters being at least on the planning commission and maybe even disproportionately represented on it. Um, and things like people of color and queer people on the police accountability commission and maybe even disproportionately represented on it and those types of things yes i totally agree i think commissions are amazing our commissions do so much fantastic work i absolutely agree that they could um be a little more diverse and inclusive um and i'd like to see a little i'd like to see them interact with the public um a little bit more um, but I always come back to uh, the way that the council actually interacts with the commissions, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand why there aren't kind of more direct conversations happening, like in city council meetings. Why do the commissions not kind of present their work so we can have a conversation rather than just the commission say, you know, the commission voting to you know approve or not approve a thing and then the commission or the council just hearing that like i'd really like to see a lot more discussion because the commissions have so much to say and i think it's really important um i also think that there are 
uh, I'd like to expand our commission structure um, to include a few more commissions. I have uh, specifically would like to see a commission dedicated to inclusion, diversity, and equity um, that helps to oversee, you know, all lit is a part of kind of all decisions, but looking at those decisions specifically from those perspectives, um, along with getting more diversity in the commissions themselves. But I think it's important that we have a group of people who are, who are not just diverse and thinking about the decisions that we make, but who are diverse and are thinking about the specifically these decisions from a perspective of inclusion and equity. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I love, I love the commissions and I've spoken to so many commission members at this point because they are, they really are very involved, very knowledgeable and, and work really hard and really care about what happens in the city. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, whether it's giving them more power um, or just giving them more of a direct line of communication with, with the council so that they can, you know, have a conversation rather than just kind of, okay, do we send the council a yes or a no? Um, I think would be really useful. Um, so I, I think that, um, number one, obviously I agree with, um, the, the two <laughs> uh, speakers in the importance of the role that, uh, commissions play in the city's policy development process. And, um, uh, I was glad to be, uh, one of the, um, commission, one of the, I think nine commissioners and a number of, or, and one past mayor, uh, that signed that letter to uh, city council members asking them to put this um, uh, sort of uh, reform of the public input and sort of policy development process on the city council's agenda. Um, uh, and, you know, as, as many of y'all will expect, the, the experience over the past year and a half on the Police Accountability Commission first serving um, as its first vice chair last year and serving as its second chair this year, um, has really been an eye-opening experience as to so many of the areas of needed improvement in our um, commission um, process. Um, you know, I hate to sound like, uh, you know, Republican members of Congress used to sound when Obama was president, but it, I would like some regular order in the process. Uh, and I'm, I'm frequently frustrated by the, the number of instances where there seems to be an expectation of a certain process that, um, you know, a proposal or a project will go through that is going to include, um, you know, number of opportunities for, for general public input, but specifically opportunities to engage with commissions um, that are supposed to assist the city council and the city government more broadly um, in these issues. Um, and a good example of that uh, just earlier this year is the, um, uh, the city's approval of uh, armored vehicle uh, earlier this year. 
Um, now, uh, you, I think all of you uh, sort of smart, good-natured people would think, well, hey, you know, armored vehicle, police department, that's probably something that should go to the Police Accountability Commission at some point before it arrives. Um, at the city council, um, you know, and I would think you're a reasonable person. That that seems like an obvious thing that should come to the Police Accountability Commission. But somehow, um, uh, when uh, this arrived at on the city council's agenda uh, and myself and others from the commission uh, and just other Davis residents were like, hey, what's going on here? Why, why did this arrive um, uh, you know, at the city before making a stop at the commission first? And uh, you know, there's a bunch of sort of shrugged shoulders and looking in different directions for some sort of explanation. And there wasn't really one there. There was, you know, there, there was a number of experiences that we had that I thought, well, you know, goodness, the Police Accountability Commission is new, so there's a lot of these processes aren't really well worn out. Um, uh, and then also, you know, the issues that we're going uh, through as a commission are, you know, a little controversial, a little spicy for the for some city mm -hmm. staff and city council members. That's sort of the reason that we are getting this treatment that that seems at some times from city leaders that are input is, you know, irrelevant entirely or just, you know, not really an important thing to put on the table in, in these discussions. Um, but then I started to have conversations, uh, particularly in the city council campaign with other commission members and, and mm -hmm. people, you know, um, working on issues very far away from, you know, police reform in Davis, uh, issues that at least on paper were far less controversial, were far less new, certainly in the history of Davis's government. Um, and I'm seeing the same sort of situations, um, situations where it seemed like there is, you know, an already formed opinion or bias amongst uh, a senior city staff on a certain direction. And there's an assumption, maybe the commission's gonna go in this other direction. So let's not even talk to the commission or let's, um, let's sort of, uh, uh, you know, engage in funny business on how we report out the, the commission's recommendations in a staff report. Um, let's uh, sort of have, you know, as a number of our land use commissions are concerned about having, you know, developers coming up to present at city council meetings while uh, 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 members of commissions or leaders of commission are left to present their uh, input in public comment in two minutes uh, when developers, of course, have no time limits on their presentations at city council meetings. Um, so there uh, it has been, and this is one of the more surprising things that I've come to uh, to be aware of in the city council campaign is just how many people in Davis really want to see us get, uh, you know, under the hood and do some work improving, um, excuse me, the policy development process and making sure it's more open, inclusive uh, uh, to uh, public input. Very proud to have the support of a number of commission members, uh, including uh, uh, Richard McCann uh, from the Natural Resources Commission, who was another person who put forward that a letter to the city council, um, and a number of uh, great uh, leaders in the social services commission, which I'm glad to have the support of as we're engaging in this conversation about how to um, reform our public safety systems here with uh, with three commissions. Oh, and then Kelsey, one thing that I did want to mention you you talked about having a commission, you know, really focused across the board on on equity and diversity and inclusion. And I would think that, you know, David, correct me if I'm wrong, I would think that that would be the Human Relations Commission. Um, and right, and, and so all of our um, commissions, um, 
in the way that they operate with the city, in the way that they operate with the public, uh, and in the way that they sort of, you know, chew into the issues that are in their uh, portfolio, I think um, much improvement uh, <laughs> is, is, is on the path uh, for us. And I think that that includes human relations, but it also includes the Police Accountability Commission um, as well. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I've you know I've watched some of the the human relations commission um, meetings since they've been you know I love that those meetings are now being recorded I am I mean because there's just there's no way that you can make it to the meetings all the time there's the schedule's crazy um, and I'm gonna say that it's might be the least diverse of all the commissions, right? It's really old and really white. So yeah, I will, I, so these, these are the, uh, not to disparage any of our lovely and hardworking members oh, of the Human Relations no. Commission, but I, but, but yeah, no, we, we do, as we've talked about earlier in this conversation, struggle more significantly uh, in areas of equity, and inclusion yeah. and accessibility more right. so than we do in other policy areas. And, and, and that's, you know, the reason why our candidacies are all necessary, the reason why this is a, you know, an unprecedented and historic election year uh, in so many different ways, because uh, there is that big gigantic need um, for increased um, uh, serious work on these issues that have been lingering for longer than probably all of us have been alive. Uh, <laughs> definitely have been uh, needing to be addressed for a long time. I'm sorry, I, I hope yeah. one of us cut you off, David. Oh, I, I just wanted to give a little background because I actually served on the Human Relations Commission from <laughs> 2011 to 2018. And one of the reasons I, I got on the commission was that when I first started doing this, the uh, MLK Day in, in Davis, was one of the most diverse events uh, in the city of Davis. Like you would go to that and, and you wouldn't think you were in Davis anymore. There were so many black people there, seriously. And um, I went, I, I forget what year I went. It was like 2008, 2009. And there were no black people there. It was all white. You know, it's like an all white MLK day. And uh and so, you know, this this actually really upset me <laughs> because I'm like, we, we, we got to do something about that. So I so I actually got on. Uh, I, I was chair for a while and we got it to the point where it was fairly di diverse. We had probably half people of color. Uh, you know, there were people like uh, Diane Evans and uh, um, Gloria Partita and um, who else was on there? I can't even think. But uh, uh, but but we had it pretty diverse. And then uh, they put some people on, and I decided it was a good time to get off. And uh, apparently, it's gone downhill since then. So uh, which I'm not really that surprised, unfortunately. But anyway, well, you know, it's you not that the they, background on that. Yeah, it's you know, and it's not that they're doing, you know, it's not that they're not doing their job and doing it well. It's just that the way that 
you know, the way that someone who is white and retired might see the job of someone working with the Human Relations Commission, uh, they're going to see their job really differently than someone who has a different background. Um, and yeah, it comes back to, to kind of, yeah, really getting diversity in our commissions. But then also, I think it's important the words that we use. Um, when we're talking about, well, putting diversity and inclusion and equity in the human relations area, it's, I think that's not giving it as much service as it deserves. You know, I think that that this is one of the issues the you know this is a defining issue and we should have a commission specifically for this and i also think that using different language will attract different people when you when you have you know more updated uh language to describe what is going to happen in the commission you're going to get people who are interested specifically in these topics that, you know, that we're concerned about. Yeah, I definitely think that we could have either a separate commission or maybe even re rename the Human Relations Commission, because as far as I'm aware, this is essentially what it's supposed to do, but mm -hmm. the name is a bit misleading in that case. Um, I, I would... Um, favor a name like an anti-oppression commission or something along those lines because uh, I also think that language is important and I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important, but we have to go beyond that as well and we have to start thinking about systems and structures and fundamentally restructuring society and dismantling oppressive systems. And that certainly along the way, um, we're going to have to work within the current system, but we always need to keep in mind that the fundamental goal is a full restructuring, uh, which requires a lot of dismantling and abolishing and rebuilding. Um, and Dylan, I, I mean, am I wrong, but aren't there only two people of color on the police? Are you and Cecilia? Yes, there's only two people of color running, uh, two, two people of color on the Police Accountability Commission, and both of them are running for public office, so there, there's a, a chance that both of them will not be on the commission next year. <laughs> um, but, um, um, you know, and, and one thing that I, I failed to bring up, because uh, uh, I know y'all are very astute watchers of all these public meetings, so I know some of you may have seen <laughs> the uh, Police Accountability Commission that happened, Police Accountability Commission meeting that happened on Monday. Um, but we were having a conversation about our charter and a number of the sort of the just naming things um, that, uh, you know, with relation to the commission, uh, also including the name of the commission. But one thing that we talked about was, um, God help us, uh, whether or not we would require um, having two individuals on the commission who had had um, sort of an adverse relationship with uh, uh, local law enforcement. I'm and, in. Oh, wait, what? I'm in. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right, right. And so this is already a feature of the, um, 
uh, current charter of the Police mm. Accountability Commission. I, I am assuming that is uh, one of the, I won't say only reasons, but one of the fewer reasons why myself and Cecilia are on this commission, uh, amongst a number of other things. But um, uh, there was a conversation, and, and God bless you, Connor, for, for catching this uh, in the, the sort of way that this section was written that I, I somehow didn't catch when I read it the first time. Um, but there, we did not have consensus in the Police Accountability Commission as to whether or not we should keep that part of the commission's charter. Um, there was um, a number of individuals and perhaps a majority of individuals on the Police Accountability Commission that were like, ah, we don't really need that lived experience on the commission, probably not necessary. We'll, we, we'll maybe just get it if we politely ask for it and we don't make it a requirement. No! <laughs> so, oh I mean, like the, the list of reasons why we can't have nice things is like just pay, I'll be rolling it and it'll be down. Right. And, and um, so uh, the, the, the need to, um, first of all, just the need to update the mindset uh, that leaders in our community have with regard to um, diversity and what the real impacts of it are. I think a lot of people are thinking of this some sort of frou-frou, uh, you know, intellectual concept that doesn't have any real impact on people's lives. And so it's, for them, it's a, you know, whether it happens or not, it isn't really a big deal. Right. Um, we have a, a really big problem in mindset as to what the real needs of diversity are. Um, you, you know, if you would have told me just, <laughs> Just last week that we would have members of my commission sort of pushing against uh, uh, that provision uh, of the commission's charter, I would have told you you were a liar. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, you would have been correct, um, and that's uh, that's uh, that's a rough sort of uh, realization to come to as you're working through these issues and phases. Jordan, you want to ask oh. another question? I would love to. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, we have talked about renting versus homeowning in Davis, and so I feel like something that kind of ties the three of you together, besides all being youthful candidates, is that you are renters. And so how do you feel about being a renter in a homeowner-dominated political arena, and what advantages or disadvantages do you think that gives you? So... Um, so I, I, I might be a little bit more prepared to answer first. I, I don't know if y'all have seen sort of the, you know, ads that we've uh, had circulating around in, in social media. Uh, and some of them feature, you know, the sort of historic first, of, uh, you know, sort of that, that my uh, uh, ethnicity and sexuality would bring if I was elected to this office. Um, but uh, some of our other ads or some of our ads also include, um, uh, just, uh, just a little note. Hey, this you know there are no renters on the city council right now, and there hasn't been one elected for more than a decade. And in a community that is more than half renters, which is not like a usual demographic in no. towns anywhere, <laughs> um, and 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 certainly not in this part of California. So. Um, one of the, you know, the, the things that I've been saying on the campaign trail or, you know, the virtual campaign trail as it is now um, is that, you know, the, the, the government um, has an obligation to serve the people that are there. 
Uh, and we have, you know, just in terms of other demographics, a larger than average senior population, a larger than average um, people with disabilities population, if you add together sort of the clients that, my, that the nonprofit that I work for serves and people with sort of aged in disability. So if we have a big um, population of people with disabilities, please tell me how we don't have a full-time ADA coordinator on city staff. Um, so so the, the, we, we can't fall short in representing large plurality or majority segments of our population. And that's what we're doing at a really disastrous rate um, with renters. Um, so not only on paper do we have a community that is um, majority renter, but super majority in leadership homeowner, um, we, that, that, that has a policy effect. Just going back to our last conversation, representation matters. Diversity is sort of in, in representation has real impacts. And when you are a person who does not live through the housing insecurity that being a renter in Davis comes with, then perhaps sort of the housing crisis is a can that you can sort of kick down the road. Uh, perhaps it, it is a situation where you can uh, as, as one of my opponents has uh, sort of, you know, brag about approving a whole bunch of, you know, uh, housing that, that, that hasn't been built yet, as if that has any material relationship to the actual lives <laughs> of people who are living through the housing crisis right now in Davis. Um, uh, some of you who were watching the uh, districting conversation last summer uh, we'll remember that a number of students and renters were pushing the city council to adopt uh, a district map that would almost overrepresent. going back, I can't remember who mentioned this, but going back mm -hmm. to the, the comment of sort of over-representing underrepresented traditionally groups. Um, and uh, obviously this was rejected by the city council, <laughs> um, but, 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 but Mayor Lee at the time, um, who was, you know, who was mayor and was presiding over the meeting, sort of offered, you know, well, hey, you know, y'all are looking to have renters um, and, uh, you know, represented uh, on the city council. But, hey, I was a renter, you know, some time ago. Um, you know, when was this, this person, Mayor Lee, uh, last a renter? The year started with 19. Right. Oh, yeah. Super relevant because to... parents have, have like all this property. Well, then, then maybe what he said was a falsehood. And, you know, th there's a different word for that that starts with an L that I'm not going to say. Well, he probably <laughs> went to college at, at some point. In Olympics, so, right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, but I, this is this, so, so people in, you know, are, you know, going back to, you know, lining up in the queues uh, for public comment, people are lined up deep, uh, uh, you know, renters, young professionals, uh, undergraduates, graduate students, um, you know, advocating for better representation in their city government. And the literal highest ranking official in the city government says, well, I basically represent you. I was a renter two decades ago. So, so the, 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 the uh, going back to, you know, the, the issues that we have about diversity in ethnicity, um, the, the mindset of our leaders is such that there isn't even a problem in this lack of representation, mm -hmm. both in policy and in real bodies in, in the sort of renter, you know, housing crisis conversation. So it's, it's been an interesting dynamic <laughs> uh, over, the, uh, uh, over the past uh, year plus running uh, in this race because it is absolutely critical 
that we get. I, I really hope that you know the, the best for for you, uh, Kelsey and Connor, because we need to get uh, not just one uh, renter, uh, but again, this is a more than half renter, right. according to the last census town, and that was a decade ago. Uh, so one assumes that the proportions have slightly probably. So we absolutely need to get this representation uh, on the city council. Then and only then, in my view, will we see this this housing crisis taken seriously and addressed as it needs to be. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it kind of reminds me of the the frustration that I feel in my department surrounding gender. Um, econ is super white, super male, really fun times. Um, and 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 my department has kind of decided that they've solved the problem, that we're good, um, because we have a particularly large uh, group of researchers who focus on um, public and labor economics, and that is actually a majority female demographic of researchers. Um, and so we do. We have, I think it's almost 50-50 in faculty members in the econ department at Davis, which is fantastic and one of the reasons why I'm here. However, they're all focused in one area. And so when I'm in a room with my advisors and the other people who do energy and transportation uh, based research, I am often the only woman. And and there are, you know, no faculty members who are women. And and that has made like my experience so much more difficult there. And you know, the same is true for renters in this community where we're represented by homeowners. It's made our experience so much more difficult than it needs to be. You know, if we if our lived experience was represented or at least acknowledged as an issue, because that's, you know, that's a basic first step when we're talking about you know, any sort of diversity, inclusion, equity situation, you have to be able to admit that there's an issue here. Um, and so, you know, my department doesn't see an issue. City of Davis uh, doesn't seem to see an issue with being all homeowners on our uh, on our council. And, and yeah, we're almost 60% at this point. I, you know, I bet when that new census comes out, it'll be about, you know, Three of those five city council members should be renters if we're looking for just representation. Now, you know, historically underrepresented groups, like I've said, should be overrepresented when we're talking about leadership bodies. Because those are the people whose issues have not been addressed for decades. And so we need, that's where our focus needs to be. Um, yeah, so I'm really glad that there's the three of us here so that we can at least say, hey, it's a problem. <laughs> like, this is, this is an issue. Um, well, let's, yeah. let's get Connor in on this too. Yeah, so I, I was going to say something, um, very similar that I think that this is a this is where representation and centering the most marginalized overlap because renters are 
in a marginalized and precarious uh, situation relative to homeowners and are also generally um, disproportionately people of color, disproportionately low income, disproportionately people with disabilities, and yet make up more than half of Davis. So I think that getting more renters onto the city council, as well as commissions, especially commissions that are related to issues that affect renters, um, which in some ways is really all commissions, but <laughs> particularly like commissions like the planning commission. And I would also argue the police accountability commission. So I think getting more renters onto these bodies is an important way to both uh, increase renter representation, at least to the level that is the renter population in Davis, and also to center the needs of a disproportionately marginalized and precarious community. Um, and yeah, so I think that these two things intersect uh, with the issue around renters. And yet we also know that mm -hmm. renters don't vote at, at the same <laughs> level as homeowners, uh, at least in part because there are structural obstacles there around switching your uh, voting uh, registration when you move so often and all that. Um, so yeah, I think it's important that we get more renter representation. And I was really hoping the council would prioritize that when they created the districts and that did not happen, but we know that redistricting is happening soon. So hopefully uh, this is reconsidered during the redistricting process. Ah, perhaps, perhaps we should have a commission for redistricting that is at least half renter or at least, you know, 60% renters. Like that is, that would be huge because I totally agree. Yeah, the way that the districts have been split up you know, you never get more than more than that 60 or so percent renters. And so you never get to a place where their renters feel like they have control. They always feel, you know, we don't have a district where where the three of us would be kind of the obvious candidate. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I I wonder what you guys would think about um, about taking like a a more formalized way of um of like getting people on commissions and having like requirements of okay we need at least this you know this proportion of renters this proportion women because our commissions are very male um this proportion of people under the age of 30 this you know like something more formalized so that we can actually just like so that we don't have to keep having these same conversations about how are we going to engage people and how are we going to like, you know, increase diversity and representation. Like those things, I mean, it's 2020, this should be automatic. Well, what do you guys uh, oh, David, were you gonna ask another question? Well, um, I mean, we're kind of drawing to the closing point, I, I, I would want to um, just point out that uh, if you looked at the numbers in the districts and if we had been under normal times with yeah. uh, 
all the students on campus, there was the potential that one of the districts could have been a student district, but you know, under COVID, that was going to be difficult, and I would have to look up to see if that uh, district's even on the ballot this time because uh, I, I I don't remember the number. So, is if I I mean I haven't looked. Uh, it's been months since I looked back at this, but if I'm recalling correctly, I think they were, you know, except for the. I want to say the third district was more homeowners, um, but the rest of them were pretty, pretty consistently like 40% homeowners, 60% renters or something like that. It was pretty, it was pretty constant. There wasn't one area that was, you know, if you split South Davis into, into kind of two separate areas, you could easily get a flip, you know easily get an area where you're over 80 percent renters right um, i mean the problem is is that yeah. that's you know registered voters and right now uh a lot of those registered voters are just not here and oh, so i know vote. um so yeah. I, I mean in a way that makes this a difficult year to really uh test things out yeah we all screwed this one up didn't we we picked the wrong year <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you never get it right. <laughs> right. But hey, so, we're renters, uh, so we can just move to yeah. a different district. Okay, I mean, do you want this yeah. podcast to go on for another hour? Because I could tell you about how upset I was by uh, <laughs> several high-level city officials mounting a campaign, you know, because I was, I was the first to announce. So, like, when yeah. in the middle of all of this district stuff. So there was a, a very a uh, significant um, semi-public campaign to essentially force me to move to South Davis um, when the district process began, but um, that um, I could write a whole book about how mad I am about that. Place. I knew some of them talked to you about that. I didn't know that it was at that level. <laughs> there were some people who every time I saw them, they literally would not talk to me about anything else than like how my move to South Davis was going. But but and but again and just sort of going back I'm sorry I am I'm gonna uh, try to tag this back to the topic, um, <laughs> all based on this cockamamie notion that hey you're the one renter that's running it's easier for you renters to move around town whenever you want to more mm. so than it is for us homeowners and I'm mm -hmm. like all y'all need to get recalled immediately because none of y'all understand even a little bit of what this housing crisis is. All of y'all must be fired immediately. And again, these were, this was a majority of the Davis City Council. I'm not going to name people because I'm not yes. trying to be shady today. But this was a majority of the incumbent Davis City Council who was like, Dylan, you need to move. Dylan, hey, have you moved yet? Are you packed? Do you need some help packing? Um, ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'll just point out, I've, uh, I'm a renter, and I have lived in exactly two places in 20 years. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, uh, I lived in an apartment from 2000 to 2012. We moved to a house in South Davis that we rent in 2012, and we've lived there ever since. And uh, my intention is to live there, hopefully, until I buy a house, hopefully. Uh, right. And we'll yeah, see. I mean, I lived in the same house for five of the seven years that I've lived in Davis. Uh, I mean, who wants is... to move? Nobody wants to move. Yeah. No, I, 
I live in the same apartment for like six years, and yeah, people definitely don't want to move. When people move, it's often because they have to, because there's yeah. like conditions that have essentially forced them to move. Girl, y'all right. are oh. lucky. I don't know how y'all found whatever deal y'all found, but I have been <laughs> Davis for seven years, and this is my seventh apartment. Oh. Wow. I, I mean, I've definitely heard those stories, too. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. When you don't have kids, though, it it is different. Like, you know, when I moved into Davis, I moved in a Toyota Camry uh, with all of my stuff in the Toyota Camry. Wow. Uh, And so, you know, now with uh, three kids and a wife, there's no way we could do anything short of, like, hire a moving company to move all our stuff. Oh, I know. I had, you know... When I moved to South Davis, I had a, a truck and an SUV from friends. And, you know, we must have taken each vehicle five trips or so. And I did not bring all of my stuff. I left a bunch of furniture at the old house because my roommates were staying. And I was like, you guys can have it. I don't want to move it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and, and Dylan's totally right that, you know, most people are I can't remember if it's Dylan or Connor. Um, most people who are moving are moving out of necessity because rents aren't controlled in any way. And so, you know, when you're talking about signing a lease for the next year, which you do six months in advance, which is insane, um, you're talking about looking at, you know, often over a 5% increase in your rent each month. And a lot of people can't afford to, you know, go from spending a grand to a grand 50. Like, you're already talking about renters spending over half of their income on housing, which is extremely unhealthy. So this is the, so I, uh, this is the first, uh, again, seventh apartment. So this is the first <laughs> single that I've lived in in Dave. So this is just a one bedroom. Uh, and so this is the first time I'm not splitting the bills with someone else. And baby, when I paid my rent a couple of days ago and gave yeah. away half of my income for the month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, I know it's terrible. And um, I think the other thing that that, you know, homeowners don't realize is, well, one, the conditions in which we're often living like I my first the pl- first place I lived in David was a hellhole. It we dealt with rats for months. We had to get a cat because nothing was working. I mean, we were catching a rat a night for weeks and um and and because because the housing market is so tight um because the housing market is so tight you don't have another option you know there's no leverage over your landlord so so this management company is just treating us like absolute trash right we were the ones going out and buying rat traps to catch these rats we were the ones who called the the you know, extermination company, like the, we were the ones who had to do all of that because they weren't going to do anything. They were just going to let us live in this filth where I come home from the grocery store and a rat runs off of my counter past my feet. It was, it was terrifying.
terrifying. Burn and there's the nothing house you can down. do. Burn it down. Right? Start over right? from scratch. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, you know, and that's and that's the problem is we just there's nothing we could do because there's no way we were going to be able to find something that we could afford. And and so we're just stuck in this hole that, you know, could have for some young family if someone had bought it and upkept it. But there's no upkeep because there's no incentive for anyone to to keep things nice because they know it'll rent anyway. And maybe the last what people need to hear in this community, because I know so many people that, you know, they bought their house in the 80s uh, when it was cheap. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea what rent costs or, um, you know, what the condition of places are. They're, um, just, so. they're just mad about that mini dorm next door. like Right? Well, and I mean, that's the other thing. Because it's so expensive, um, when I was looking for a place in South Davis, I was chatting with, um, you know, someone who was working at an apartment complex. And it turns out she also lived there. So... Um, so I'm chatting with her and, and I wanted to know about the size of, you know, the square footage of the apartment. Cause I could see the floor plan online, but it didn't have dimensions. And, and so I was asking, I was like, well, you know, how big is it? And she's like, oh, well, I live in a three bedroom and there are seven of us. What? Like people don't realize that, you know, a lot of the students, like even, even though we're talking about you know, vacancy rates of less than 1%, really the vacancy rates are negative. People are living in living rooms. Yeah, you've got the the people who lived in this apartment before me, they had three people in one room and two people in the other room. The people, you know, this this girl was living in an apartment where everyone was in a double and there was a person sleeping in the living room. And so all like of this, all of this last bit of conversation is the exact reason we need a fully funded, fully supported <laughs> rental resources program that the city only hired one part-time staffer to support when they originally created the program a couple yeah. of years ago that is supposed to tackle these problems of, of lease, un, uh, you know, uh, fairness uh, practices and of quality, uh, which is a big problem. And David, you're exactly right that, 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 um, many uh, uh, homeowners uh, who have some degree of uh, apathy toward these rented issues just are not really aware of how deep the crisis is, again, both in, in fairness uh, practices and in uh, housing quality. So, I mean, uh, we don't want to throw the slum word around, but there's a number of places <laughs> in Davis where the, the, the quality is getting such to, to such a place where you know, health people are going to have to start being called at a certain moment. And and the, the, the point that Kelsey made is something that I talked about a lot at the beginning of the campaign, and it's really important, that the sort of traditional, uh, uh, you know, free market, and none of us are like capitalists, I, I'm assuming, um, but but uh, as far as committed, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't assume. But, but, but a number of the just the usual free market practices that would have you know, companies, and in this case, uh, 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 um, uh, property developers and managers competing against each other to have the best apartment, to have the, the sort of lowest prices, to have the best in terms of housing quality uh, and best practices, Those that competition is just not there, exactly for the reason that Kelsey uh, uh, mentioned, because they know you can't go anywhere else. 
the pressure of losing yeah. that income just isn't there. They know, you know, first of all, you're not going anywhere. And even if you do have the audacity to go somewhere, they can replace you in five minutes. Uh, get, exactly. Get, 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 so, um, I mean, I would just want to let Connor get in on this, and then we got to uh, end this show. So, Connor, you get the last word. Okay. I was going to say, I, I would argue that those types of market forces are uh, much, they work in weird ways when it comes to housing a lot of the time. And we see that in some places where there's luxury apartments that just sit empty because no one can afford the rent that the uh, property owner wants to charge. And it's actually more beneficial to the property owner to let it sit empty and accumulate value rather than actually renting it out at a lower rent. So I do think that under capitalism, there are some arguments toward uh, using the market uh, to our benefit in certain ways, but that uh, first off, we do need to directly uh, pressure developers and landlords uh, through things like the renter's ordinance and having a renter's ordinance that is actually fully funded and has teeth. Uh, and really that, as I kind of mentioned in an earlier question, the fundamental problems here go a lot deeper and we really need to uh, always keep in mind that the end goal is a complete restructuring, is a transition to full socialism and an end to all systems of oppression. Of course, Connor had to end that way. <laughs> All right. Um, Jordan, did you want to do the wrap up? Sure. Thank you all so much for coming today and sharing your wonderful opinions. Um, good luck in the election upcoming. It's kind of a bananas time to be doing all of this, as you said. So, you know, we wish you the best of luck. If you want to say where people can find you after this, want to drop any sort of messaging? Um, yeah, folks can find out more about my uh, campaign at, uh, at uh, DylanForDavis.com. That is uh, D-I-L-L-A-N, the number four, Davis.com. <laughs> um, and that has a little bit more information about my uh, background and my priority areas. I need one of those signs. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Connor. <laughs> yeah, so people can find more about me at connorfordavis.com and similar social media. So there we go. Um, and yeah, so the four is F-O-R, not the number, and Connor is two N's and O-R. <laughs> and Kelsey? I went with the last name instead of the first name. So we've got fortunefordavis.com. It's F-O-R-T-U-N-E-F-O-R-D-A-V-I-S.com. Great. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This has been the Davis Vanguard. Good night.